are we getting women running? Are we seeing the diversity that we're hoping for in 2019? Or basically, are we seeing the same old, same old? Well, I mean, I think that the answer to that question depends on what your hopes are. So put your hopeful face on, Jenny, because I think that there is some hope this time around. Certainly the data suggests that there are more women running than ever before. Yeah, I guess there's not too much privacy for you right now, is there? <laughs> no, not a bit. I had somebody arrive the other night, actually knock on our door at 10.30. We had just settled in for the night and they caught me right in the middle to take my medical files. I was, come on in, I don't care. <laughs> oh my, that's amazing. Oh, it's amazing, really. <laughs> they state when care is conceptualized as a foundation, then policy initiatives aim to create a caring society based on equality, anti-colonialism, anti-racism, and dignity. It's pretty badass. Yeah, it's pretty badass. This is the world that I want to live in that we're talking about. Me too. Let's both put our hopeful faces on right now. Academic and the Activist, the space where the halls of academia hit the mean streets of activism. We talk about all things political science, feminism, and fun with your hosts, the academic Amanda Bittner and the activist Jenny Wright. So Amanda, how are you doing this afternoon? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm overwhelmed. I must say I am overwhelmed. First, I want to tell you that I am talking to you from the laundry room in the basement of my son's house <laughs> in Halifax, Nova Scotia, because it's full of company and dogs. And I was like, where is the one place uh, that I can have a great discussion with them and unencumbered by noise? And it's in a, it's in a two by two foot room. I feel like I'm in a cell. Um, <laughs> But here we are. Anyways. You know, I was looking at the room earlier and I was wondering where you were. Um, And I'm relieved to hear that you haven't been like jailed into a tiny room by your children. So that's that's good news. I I have the necessities of life. It's voluntary. (laughs) I love it. So I need this election to end. Oh, we've got what? A few more days. Yeah. A few more days. Yeah. A few more days left to come. I mean... I have to say, I was so disheartened to see our prime minister, no matter where you stand on, you know, partisan issues, having to show up with a bulletproof vest and mm. tactical, uh, you know, and a full tactical SWAT team with them. It's not the kind of democracy I like to see. Yeah. And, you know, kind of speaks to, you know, the, the hatred and the polarization that we see going on. Um, and, and remember when I told people, don't vote yet. Let's see how this goes. And mm-hmm. the polls are all over the place. Yeah. Surge- and surging there and uh you know let me just push you on that because you did vote didn't you i saw something about this on the twitter so you're not listening to your own advice (laughs) (laughs) well one thing be hard pressed to get me to change from my political party as you know people 
stick to their political party. And of course, I wanted to uh, vote when I was home in my riding, right. of course, which is very important to me. But uh, seeing the surges happening with the NDP, I'm completely surprised that the numbers around the Conservatives don't seem to be moving. And everybody is petrified that we're going to have a coalition government. I just wanted your quick thought on that. I mean, if you've been anywhere in Europe, most of those countries are in coalition government. I don't know how many coalition governments there are around the world, but I'm going to take a guess that the majority of them are coalition. Am I right? Oh, whoa. On the spot there. Um, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's pretty common in a lot of places. Yes. So a coalition government um, for, for the listeners at home. Um, it's just a scenario where parties enter into a formal agreement after an election. There's no one party that has enough seats to govern on its own, and so they enter into a, what's called a coalition, but it's basically a formal contract, kind of, to work together, to pass bills and laws together, um, and usually has um, members of both parties in cabinet. So, for example, the prime minister might be the person who had the most seats, and then the deputy prime minister might be the, of the second party or might be the finance minister, um, and then they take a bunch of cabinet ministers from both parties. So both parties work together to govern. Um, and they then kind of govern like a majority government because they have an effective majority at that point. Um, but there's a lot more negotiation, a lot more deal making and a lot more compromise that takes place in a coalition between two parties. Um, although, frankly, if you think about every party as a coalition of people who have very different views, right, then we're always dealing with coalitions, so it's not really that weird, and it is quite common. Um, and some folks love it. They think this leads to you know, better policies because there's more discussion, more debate. Certainly the folks who call for electoral reform are major proponents of this kind of governance. So while there's a lot of folks who are scared right now, I think there's also a lot of folks who are excited about the possibility. Yeah, I count myself in as one of those. I think uh, I'd like to see a coalition uh, government. I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see that debate. I'd like to see democracy coming back. I'd like to see parties working together. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, uh, I'm, uh, I'm all for any kind of electoral reform. So this is going to be really interesting, and I can't wait to our next podcast when we'll be post-election. I know. Of, you know. It's hard to believe breaking. that that time is coming up really quickly. It is. So I also really wanted to chat with you about candidates who are running i mean are we getting women running are we seeing the diversity that we're hoping for in 2019 or basically are we seeing the same old same old well i mean i think that the answer to that question depends on what your hopes are so put your hopeful face on jenny because i think that there is some hope this time around certainly the data suggests that there are more women running than ever before which is i mean let's give her a round of applause because um, that's pretty awesome. Um, so right now there are apparently, according to Equal Voice's latest count, 37% um, of all candidates are women, which is the highest proportion of candidates ever. Um, and that equals 645 candidates. So that's that's quite a lot of people. Um, and certainly it's it's historic for us and, and good. I think that we can all agree. Um, of course, this you know, varies by party, it varies by region, um, partly because some regions are smaller than others, so they have fewer women, um, but like, so just going across the, the various parties in outside of Quebec, let's do that first, because the block kind of um, changes things a little bit, but not really. Um, there are 106 conservative women running across the country, which is about 31% of their candidates. Um, there are 156 green women running, um, which is 46% of their candidates slate, so that's pretty high. Um, there are 131 liberal women, so 40%, so they're doing better than they have in the past as well. 
Um, the People's Party of Canada, uh, 55 women running or 18%. So they're doing probably the worst. Um, and then the NDP kind of tops it out um, with 49% of their candidates are women. Um, so that's 165 candidates. So this is the best that they've done um, as well. So all across the board, um, parties are all doing well and they're all up. I think the average increase from last time was like 9%. So they've, they've all made an effort here. And we know from past conversations that that effort is really what matters, right? That it, parties could do this if they wanted to, um, as evidenced by the fact that some parties have pretty much reached parity, right? So 49%, it's not 50%, but it's pretty damn close. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you. I mean, we know that women want to run for politics and will run for politics. And so the increasing number shows us that. My question is, are the parties putting them in winnable ridings or are these, is there any data showing yet whether they're going to be knobs or name on ballots that don't have a, a chance of winning or are they, you know, are parties really working to put these women, you know, in the fight where a chance where they can win in a winnable riding? Yeah, and I think that's a really great question, and I don't have the answer to that. So I haven't actually taken a look at what those ridings are all about or what's really happening in there. But I did want to highlight, so on this note, um, there are apparently four ridings in Canada, two of which are located in Ottawa. Where's my notes here? Um, and two of which are located elsewhere. Um, so one's in London West, uh, one's in Haldeman, Norfolk, and one's in Etobicoke, North. So these are all Ontario ridings um, where all of the candidates, all of them are women. So this is candidates for the Liberals, Conservatives, NDP, and Green Party, um, and in a couple of these two ridings as well, uh, even the PPC candidate is a woman. So those will be interesting. I mean, imagine if you had the chance to vote for mm -hmm. any woman you wanted across all the parties, um, right? Because right. I mean, I think the thing that we know is that partisanship matters, right? So women don't, and men don't have a problem voting for women, but a lot of the time the parties don't run a candidate that's their party member who's a woman, right? So if, yeah. if women run and if major parties put women forward, then women tend to win because people are voting by party. So those those ridings are ridings to watch and, and kind of an exciting, I mean, I don't, I'm sure that I have friends who live in these ridings. I don't know which ones they are, um, but uh, I would love to live in that riding that has all women that I could vote for. Like what a- I would love to live in that world. Yes, absolutely. That would be pretty kick-ass. Now, I think the thing we need to think about too is not just our, you know, about women, but also thinking about other kinds of diversity too, right? So I was doing some, you know, calculating and, and research this morning um, in preparation for our chat today. Um, and it looks like, so across Canada, according to the census, and I love the census, 22% uh, of Canadians, so 22%, nearly a quarter, identify as a visible minority in the census as of 2016. Um, so if, you know, if the, the parties were doing, uh, if they were nominating candidates in, in parity with their presence in the population, we would expect 22% right. of candidates to be from visible minority backgrounds. So that's not what's happening. We've got 15% across all six parties, um, which is up about 1% since the last election in 2015. So, you know, we're, we're making some strides. And again, much like gender, um, there is difference across parties. So the Green Party has the lowest number of visible minority candidates with 10%. Um, the People's Party of Canada, 15%. Conservative Party, 15%. Liberal Party, 17%. And NDP, 24%. So the NDP is doing better than the census in terms of representation of candidates. And it's the only party that really... Um, has clear policies in its kind of constitution to ensure that diversity candidates are a priority for every nomination battle, right? Like they won't actually sign off on um, 
a nomination race until they have evidence that there has been some effort done to get diversity right which is which is pretty pretty cool um but in in doing this research i found out about this cool organization so i think a lot of us have heard of equal voice which is yep. a nonpartisan organization that seeks gender parity in politics but there is a, a similar organization called operation black vote canada on the website is obvc.ca mm. that does similar kinds of things to try to elect black canadians to the legislature which is kind of cool and so a lot of the information that i got about this comes from their website and and the things that, that they've kind of been doing and trying to get um people elected um and then finally on this issue of diversity um i think it's important no not finally sorry second to finally was penultimate um the penultimate point that i want to make is that uh, we need to think about indigenous candidates too right so according Absolutely. According to the AFN, the Assembly of First Nations, there are 62 Indigenous candidates running across the country, um, which is up from 2015 when 54 ran. Uh, so we've got, you know, eight more than last time, which is, you know, something. It's not perfect, yeah. but it's something. Um, and so last time 54 ran and 10 were elected. This time around there are 62, uh, 27 are running for the NDP, 18 for the Liberals. Um, and the other data I don't have. So that's something to think about as well so you know the picture is improving um shall we say yeah. and there's some potential so that's why i say put your hopeful face on because there's some yeah. potential that we might actually rise in the rankings in terms of the um the global standing of canada in terms of diversity in candidates including gender but also perhaps race um and then of course we need to think too about lgbtq candidates right so this is harder to track because um mm -hmm. well for a variety of reasons um, and according to the internet, 28% um, of green candidates uh, identify as LGBTQ and 40, 40, sorry, yeah, 28, not 28%, 28 green candidates and 40 NDP candidates. So, and that's the only data that I have. So I don't have anything on the other parties. Um, and although, of course, I would assume that there are, I mean, I can think of some. So there are candidates from the other parties as well. Oh, that's some amazing data. Yeah, it's and it's great to be able to see it, but I can't actually speak to that question about are they in winnable ridings? Are these people sacrificial lambs or knobs, as you like to call them, names on ballots? I love that term so much because um, a lot of them are knobs, but the other kind of knob, right? Um, no, I, I didn't say that. Candidates are, are awesome and they're doing a really important job and it's a very, very hard job. So, you know, hats off to all these folks who have who have come out and done this. And I think that only time will tell about whether or not this changes the face of politics, right? So the, vis the visible face of who's elected into legislature, but then also what happens in terms of policy, right? Because um, mm -hmm. we know that just diversity of candidates doesn't necessarily immediately guarantee different kinds of policy discussions. It requires people who support certain kinds of policies too to have these conversations, right? But the two things are often hand in hand. Well, you're absolutely right. And we should break down some of the uh some of that data around what, where women and diverse folks yes. were put in, winnable or non-winnable, mm -hmm. um, when we when we deconstruct the election results at our next podcast. Oh yeah, good uh, idea. You know who who was set up for failure, right? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, that's it's again, it's tough, right? We're in the middle of an election campaign. There's stuff happening every day. There's this scandal. There's that scandal. There's you know bulletproof vests, all this kind of stuff to keep track of it's actually really hard to also then, you know, crunch numbers and, and look at these more kind of basic statistics at the same time. But uh, yeah, let's try to do that. That'd be fantastic.
Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't agree with you more. It is, it, this is one of the most complicated elections for really breaking down the numbers, looking at data, looking at, looking at data, looking at platforms, really trying to understand what people were running. There is so much noise mm. uh, when you go looking that it's really frustrating. Listen, there, uh, I came across an article that I absolutely loved, and uh, it's in the conversation, and it was published on October. Uh, 10th 2019 and we should push it out on our social media it's written by three feminist scholars and it's called a feminist take on the Canadian federal election there was just a couple of points in it that I, I just thought were really interesting I was so looking forward to discuss with you but it also kind of really follows up well about what you were talking about women and, <clears throat> and diverse folks running and around policy mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, the thesis of their article they're saying is, you know, for us, a key question for this upcoming election is how do the key parties propose to care for Canadians, especially the most disadvantaged? Right. So this is a really neat lens. And I really like the wording of that. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we plan on caring? And, and, and they take a very strong um, intersectional uh, mm -hmm. look at that when they're talking about dis disadvantaged folks so they are definitely talking about people of color women poverty and indigenous people and how the, the how the the individual policy platforms um around gender affect uh, affect them specifically mm -hmm. one of the first things that they said and i know you love your surveys and this <sighs> This even shocked me, but you'll see in it, it says uh, there was a recent Refinery29 survey of 1,000 women, and that survey found that 45% of them felt that the government's action had no effect on their lives. Right. Isn't that, I mean, that really sat me down. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there because, as we all know, women in general are far more dependent on government services and policies than men tend to be. This is one of the big ways about yeah. how Asian policy and legislation affect men and different uh, women differently. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought to my goodness, that's a really high number. Now, are they saying, I mean, what do you think about it? Are they saying no matter what policy comes down, nothing's going to change or make their lives better? Are they saying that government policy isn't speaking to them? Or are they I mean, 45% of them can't be completely ignorant to understand that government policy very much affects their lives every day. Right. Yeah, I'm just looking at this uh, this survey right now to see what, what they were doing. Because you're right, it's hard to kind of unpack what that statement means, right? So when they say, when 45% of women say that the government, the government's actions have had no effect on their lives, first of all, how can that be true? right like that on a basic level can't be true in real life if you believe that there is a real life out there um which I kind of yeah exactly you know like i mean i'm just trying to think about so this is about the the trudeau government's actions um and in thinking about the kind of stuff that he and his government has done over the past four or five years i mean i, I think that it's fair to say that a lot of feminists would critique his record right yeah. in terms of gender-based analysis in terms of policy outcomes things like that but at the same time you know i think that there's a lot of folks who were a big fan of the idea that he was our first feminist prime minister although i would argue that probably we've had others um but that he was so vocal about that right so that's probably touched a lot of women's lives so that in itself i think we're just not kind of thinking about things but it might sort of signify um 
frustration as well, right? So maybe these women who are answering this survey are frustrated with the kinds of things they expected from him that maybe didn't happen the way they that he, that they wanted. So, and then I think that we can all point to SNC Lavalin and his treatment of Jody Whistlin Raybould and Jane Philpot and all that kind of stuff. That that a lot of people would find that frustrating, women included. Um, but then again, wouldn't that have had an effect on their lives? So this is, I think this is maybe just a bad question. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and it maybe didn't prompt. There's the data person coming out. This this question was arranged. I know wrong. it's I such a nerdy thing to say, but I and I haven't read the survey in great detail. Like I've just kind of glanced through it. I'm just kind of glancing through this article that my colleagues have written. These this is by three colleagues of mine at um, Concordia University, and they are so smart. These women and they are yeah. they do a lot of work that's related to kind of to gender politics, to care, to public policy in particular. So they're they're getting us to think about issues in a different kind of way which i think is i mean they're awesome um and yeah, so this is why i wanted to to like i think the wording care lens is oh, absolutely yeah. brilliant in a way of breaking down now they used you know academic e words that can uh, you know can be a little bit challenging for some people totally the the language in here might not be totally accessible, but they're talking about the care lens, which emphasizes relational and contextual approaches to social and political life. But the key P for me is focusing on the needs of individuals and of communities. Mm -hmm. And we don't really, we don't really create policy or legislation with that in mind. Yep. You know, uh, who needs care and who are the caregivers? Mm -hmm. These kinds of questions that having a care lens brings I thought was I just thought was brilliant I really encourage um, everyone to have a look at it and so one of the things that I think is really um, interesting that they talk about and I've and this is something I've harped on I know at nauseum before but looking at how the the parties are looking at violence and child care and mm -hmm. health care you know, issues are predominantly affecting women. And basically what they're, you know, they talk about is, well, one party says they're going to build more shelters. Yeah. You know, one party says they're going to, you know, do more palliative care work. One party's going to do this. So again, we're still looking through a gender lens that is treating the symptoms, but is not systematically busting up racism or misogyny or the reasons right. why you know, women are still making so much less on the dollar, right? And I really like that because I see this as continually problematic. Um, and they have so many great examples um, of how they're doing it. So, for instance, they're looking at, you know, uh, giving more for seniors and palliative care, but at the same time, they're not looking at that feminized work. Mm -hmm. Very hard, you know, very much done by women, very hard, very much done by racialized women mm -hmm. who are making, you know, way less money uh, than white women and then on men. So even though they're trying to address these issues, they're not making the relational connection about how it's not busting down the real structures around women's economic power you know, racism, what, uh, there's no colonial lens, there's no, you know, it's just like, oh, we've got violence to build more shelters. Right. Um, and so I really, really um, encourage everybody to read this article. Um, and maybe we'll get it out before the election, because I think it's a really nice lens. So, um, and one of, you know, one of their issues too, of course, the same problem that we have when we're asking for gender lens is that when you look for a care lens, it's all seen as feminized mm -hmm. as women's work mm -hmm. and, and less than important right. and, not, you know, and not broken down. Uh, and, and it's certainly not broken down for women of color and indigenous women and kind of the work, 
the work that they do uh, mm-hmm. and serve for little or no money and their barriers around racism and things. So it breaks down each pop platform about what, you know, what they say that they're going to do in mm-hmm. kind of a small way, you know. Um, uh, and I think it's worth people having a look at, and I think it's worth people looking at policy and legislation through a, a care lens. I think what's similar uh, to this in my mind is uh, when the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Heard wanted to come out with a budget that was based on quality of life, mm-hmm. right? This is a very a, a, another way of looking at how we deal with the economy and how we care about our citizens through right. policy and legislation. Um, so there's some amazing work, and this work here by your by your, your colleagues. I love the frame that they looked around it, mm-hmm. and um, and I just think there's some absolutely amazing pieces. And they you know um, they talk about great shortcomings, like while all the parties embrace gender equality it is not clear they fully understand the intersectional dimensions of women's lives. Mm -hmm. And most obvious, only the Liberal Party has even gestured weekly to intervening against legislation that discriminates against religious minorities in Quebec. Right. Right? So they're like, yeah, you're a great, diverse feminist, you know, you're doing wonderful things, but it's all gestures, and we're not actually dealing Mm -hmm. with structural racism within our country. And and I just think um, this is a a short but well thought out well written piece mm-hmm. and uh, yeah well and they're kind of pushing the boundaries on the way that we think about policy right which is amazing um yeah. and it, i mean one of the things you just said a few minutes ago about how we don't always think about policy in this way we don't always think about care in this way and we and and i think it's really important to think about the fact that institutions aren't really built this way either in terms of thinking about right. the role of care right so i have a couple of colleagues who are based in england who have done some work on uh, care in institutions and then if we thought about care responsibilities of candidates or of representatives we would construct yeah. the system differently so for example um you know because it's it's not just that ki- people have kids they have to take care of and traveling to the capital city from far far away is challenging with that and it requires you to have a partner who is very dedicated to your career and the family at the same time and makes a lot of sacrifices but that also a lot of us have aging parents now too that we have to take care of and so these kind of dual uh, care responsibilities affect the extent to which legislators can actually do their jobs Um, so what they've come out with is this very cool care-based proposal that's effectively job sharing so you have a riding, a district that has more than one candidate, and those candidates work together to allow the two of them together to do one job um, because they both Love need it. to be back at home and then they need to do, you know, also go to the capital city, in that case London, in our case Ottawa, to do the job of parliament. That this, this kind of care framework would allow us to, to change the institutions themselves. So not just policies and thinking about the kinds of platforms and solutions parties are coming up with in terms of like, like you're saying, you know, uh, shelters or you know, palliative care or things like that, but to think about the actual structure of government itself. And that if we think about care and if we think about people as holistic individuals who have many components of their lives that are complicated, um, we will end up with better policymakers, people who can actually manage the jobs that, that are required of them because I think we all know that, you know, people expect a lot of their elected representative, like to be available 24 seven and to, you know, let me knock on your door at 11 p.m. at night and expect things from you like that's bonkers. Right. But yep. we do have those expectations. It's a very, very hard job. Um, and we all have a lot of other things on the go as well. So to be able to kind of change the structure of government to allow for, you know, these multi facets and multi hats that we all have to wear as part of our lives would be really quite something. 
I'm not, I'm really excited now. So I'm thinking what you're saying and what your colleagues were envisioning, whereby we create political system that is based on care and job sharing so people can totally. have balance, quality life and be at their best. And then I'm thinking about this article that I'm reading here mm-hmm. where they they state when care is conceptualized as a foundation, then policy initiatives aim to create a caring society based on equality, anti-colonialism, anti-racism, and dignity. It's pretty badass. Yeah, it's pretty badass. This is the world that I want to live in that we're talking about. Me too. Here. Let's both put our hopeful faces on right now. Because, I mean, this this could be done, right? Like, these are... Yeah. These are pretty clear directives and these are pretty clear um, ways that we could move forward with policymaking. And the, the only real barrier here is just political will. Um, it's, not, I, it's not that hard to think about care as your foundation and move forward with that. And But not surprising, though, that the entire government system was built around men and men's needs and thus so is policy. Totally. You know, and the thing is, is that these institutions don't change with the times as fast as the times change, right? And so no. sometimes it's worth having a step back and thinking about some of the stuff that, you know, the way that the, the parliament is physically built and structured and how that influences, you know, the, the kind of political lives and jobs and family lives of our representatives as well in the House of Commons. I couldn't agree more. And I'm uh, I'm kind of jealous, Amanda, because I'm hearing that you're going to interview some groovy women who are running in this election in our home province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Yes, because Newfoundland and Labrador has eight candidates who are women running in this election. Now, we have seven seats, um, so that's, you know, not every riding. But, uh, yeah, so I'm going to chat with, over the phone, two very cool candidates. Um, and I am excited about that. It's going to be awesome. When I was home on the weekend, I met the uh, one uh, woman running mm-hmm. in my riding. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leah Novell is running federally for the NDP, and right. she knocked on doors and had a sign. And I had a, uh, a really impressive. Awesome. Uh, I think you're, you're talking to some uh, people, women who are running in rural, just the, how much they have to cover yeah. in order to knock on doors and do that. So it's I'm really very excited. intense. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I don't really have any women running in my riding. Uh, and nobody has knocked uh-huh. on my door yet, so I've it's been uh, it's been quiet at my house for some reason. Um, but you know that's that's it's too bad. I like to talk about politics with pretty much everybody, so I welcome the chance <laughs> to do it at my doorway. Uh, my Maybe kids that's find why that. they're not knocking on your door. It's like, oh no, she'll have us in for an hour to find yeah. it out about policy. Well, they well, want me to put up signs and stuff all the time, and I always say no to the signs. But um, yeah. You know, I and I'm grateful that they're running, and I'm happy that we have diversity of candidates, and I'd like to see more of that in the future. But yes, yeah, so we have only a few more days till this election, and then we're going to chat again after, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that to do. Have fun with the interviews. Thank you. Talk to you soon. So I'm pretty excited. The election's coming up pretty soon. Only a few more days left. And, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the diversity of candidates uh, across provinces and across parties and across the country, really. Uh, In Newfoundland and Labrador here, we've got eight candidates who are women. Um, We reached out to a few candidates from across parties to try to have a chat with them to see how the election is going, how the campaign is going, get a sense of their experiences. Um, And so we're going to hear from two of them right now. We were not able to get in touch with a, um, a woman from the Liberal Party, but we do have a woman from the NDP and we do have a woman from the Conservative Party who agreed to chat with us, uh, with me, really, uh, today. 
Um, so our first um, candidate is Micheline Gray. She's a social justice advocate and an active member of the community. She holds a degree in social science from Memorial University. Micheline was born and raised in Labrador, where she lives with her husband, Claude, and three children. Micheline has volunteered on various boards, including the Labrador West Mental Health Coalition, the Hope Haven Transition House, the Labrador Housing and Homelessness Coalition, the Labrador West Community Advisory Committee, and the Provincial Action Network on the Status of Women. She has fought to make health care more accessible, bring awareness to missing and murdered Indigenous women, and implement safety programs that reduce barriers for individuals facing violence. Born and raised in a mining town, Micheline has seen hardworking Labradorians neglected by liberal and conservative governments. She's standing with Jagmeet Singh and the NDP to be a strong voice for the people of Labrador and fight for policies that will make life more affordable and create good, sustainable jobs. Um, so we've gotten this information from her website, which is uh, michelinegray.ndp.ca, um, and we'll go to her right now. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, how are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us. This is fantastic. Awesome. I'm proud to do it. I imagine that you're pretty busy these days. Very, very busy. Labrador is a huge geographical area. Yep. But I've seen just about every part except for the North Coast. And Amazing. And wonderful people along the way. And this is quite an adventure. I bet it is. How's the campaign going so far for you? It's going really well. I, um... I actually was late getting in the race because uh, there was no NDP candidate running in our, for Labrador. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, it was only about three weeks ago that I was like, somebody needs to run. Somebody needs to be a voice for the people. And uh, here I am. Good for <laughs> a you. A couple weeks later, deep in the race and, uh, and really enjoying it. Is there anything in particular that stands out to you as being a thing that's been happening that... Um, that you're surprised by or, um, you know, things that you weren't expecting from a political campaign. Is this your first political campaign? Yes, it is, actually. I've, uh, politi- uh, being a politician actually was never on my agenda, but uh, being an advocate for uh, equal rights, I felt like I had to stand up and give the people a choice. Mm-hmm. Um so far, no. It's, it's been everything that I've expected it to be. Uh, there's been some rumors and everything that circulate, which I think are typical of, of uh, in politics, but I've, I've overcome them. I'm not going to be uh, intimidated by by rumors, but I'm going to mm-hmm. be led by the one of the things that a lot of folks right. talk about is the, the kind of bullying and trolling that goes on in campaigns and that women and people of color tend to receive a disproportionate amount of that kind of targeting. Have you experienced that yourself? I don't think I have from a female perspective, uh, but I definitely have as, a, as a, from other candidates in my area. Mm. Um, like I said, the rumors that there were some rumors circulating that I was going to drop out of the race and uh, things like that. But I, I conquered those immediately, and I don't feel intimidated by them at all. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, 
so I don't know if you know, our, our podcast is a feminist podcast. And uh, uh-huh. one of the things that we like to talk about a lot is, um, you know, issues of gender, issues of diversity, um, the way that these things are being dealt with by governments and so on. Um, and so one of the questions that we were hoping to ask you and get your thoughts on is, so I guess it's a two-parter. So I'll start with the first part, which is um, okay. whether or not you've... Um, whether or not you're sort of satisfied by the attention that gender is getting in the election so far. <clears throat> so that's question number one. Uh, and question number two is what part of your platform will advance the rights of women? I know these are tricky questions. Okay. Well, in my opinion, women continue to bear the brunt of decades of successful liberal and conservative government failures to invest in the systematic problems that uh, undermine gender equality, like uh, Pay equity is a child care crisis. I know here in my area, the child care crisis is a huge issue. Uh, when women end up staying home because they can't afford to work and pay for child care. And um, when women do that, I mean, systematically they end up aging into poverty. And, and that's a shame when people are wanting to work and have good jobs to go to. But the cost of private child care is so expensive that uh, they can't afford it. Mm. And... Um, as far as I'm concerned, previous feminist agendas have been tested, and uh, they have failed to uh, act urgently to ensure that Canadian women do not fall deeper into this poverty. So uh, our platform, our BDP platform, just spoke to me because it's it, uh, on addresses the issues of working to ensure pay equity, uh, works um, plans to eliminate the child care crisis, and. Uh, plans to advance women who are um, discriminated against uh, based on their gender or any intersectional, in other intersectional ways, such as Indigenous people um, and the like. So uh, I'm pretty proud of uh, the work the NDP has done to uh, promote uh, the equality of women in the platform that they present at. Mm. That's great. Thank you. Um, and, and how can you sort of talk about the um, the women and men of Labrador? Uh, how will they benefit from having you as a candidate, having you as a representative? I've always been an advocate for women. I'm on leave right now as the executive director for the Labrador West Status of Women. Mm-hmm. And um, our, any party that uh, even remotely suggests taking away our autonomous rights as women is something that I'm going to stand up against. Um, as far as equal safe access to abortion, um, pay equity, raising the minimum wage so people on minimum wage can actually have a chance to have a home mm-hmm. and uh, put food on the table. And across Labrador, I mean, when you talk about Indigenous women, I mean, the struggle is multiplied because uh, food security is an issue, mm-hmm. and um, that's something that needs to be addressed as well. Because women are the primary caregivers for their children, and uh, what you're seeing things like you're not, you don't know if there's going to be food on the table because it may not even be available, mm-hmm. let alone accessing because you're getting underpaid, is a huge issue for women in Labrador. Mm-hmm. Yeah, women all across the north too, I suppose. Hey, absolutely. And they're seeing the they're seeing the face of climate change in different ways than we do in the rest of Canada because they're on the northern coast and they're seeing the differences in climate and. Uh, they're having issues accessing clean drinking water. I mean, it's, uh, they've, they've become resilient and learned to deal with these struggles, but I think that there's uh, definitely room for the government to step
did and promote the equality of Indigenous women as well as the women as a whole. In your experience with the um with the Labrador Status of Women Center, um, what are the kinds of issues that people have sort of brought forward to you? Um, like, what? How are you going to use the kind of knowledge and experience you have from that role as you move forward as a representative? Well, from a remote community, um, especially when you think about things like a right to choose and uh, access to abortion services, when we're we're in a rural community, those uh, place safe places, safe non-judgmental healthcare is just not available. Uh, we have fee-for-service doctors in our area who are not under any provincial health mandate, but are hired basically as contractors. So I've dealt with women who have gone to try to get the abortion pill and things like that in our community and have been uh, faced judgment based on uh, professional beliefs at the professional doctor level as well as the pharmaceutical level. And I have been working actually with the LG Health to try to develop a safe and non-judgmental plan for women to access uh, abortion in rural areas in a safe and non-judgmental way. So, I mean, that kind of work is still ongoing for me, and it's something that is elected that I continue, I will continue to grow across across Labrador. It's already known the venue that needs to be taken. That women know that the wraparound service is available to uh, to get them through uh, any judgment that they may face. There's choices. Mm-hmm. I've also been a strong advocate. Uh, for violence against women in our province as well as Labrador. Um, Labradorians are highly overrepresented in statistics uh, regarding violence against women. And uh, our court dockets weekly, daily, are just reeled with sexual assault cases. Mm-hmm. Um, improving services for these women across, across Labrador has always been a passion for me. I've always... Um, promoted uh, missing and murdered indigenous women campaigns to bring awareness to all of Labrador of what the of the atrocities that have, that have happened and uh, how indigenous women are overrepresented and that those empty dresses on Red Dress Day represent a person, mm-hmm. a mother, a sister, a child that has actually fallen to domestic violence so it's very powerful event and it's something that uh, I'd like for everybody to uh, experience across Labrador to really feel the impact that these lives have had on women. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important issue. Um, I guess I've got one more kind of question um, that I'd like to ask you. Um, And then if there's anything else that you'd like to talk about, by all means, feel free. Um, But my question is, um, so if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing with just the wave of that wand magically, so it's like tomorrow it would change, what would that one thing be? Equal rights for women, 100%, equality across the board. What does that mean to you? Um, uh, equality when it comes to women's rights to choose, equality when it comes to equal pay for equal work, equality when it comes to um, equal access to childcare um, facilities, no matter where you live, that uh, services you receive do not depend on your postal code, mm-hmm. that every woman in Labrador would have accessibility to um, all these um, programs to help grow status to women. Awesome, thank you. Is there anything else that you want to uh, tell our listeners before we go? 
things I definitely stand behind is I think that we need to be more um, conscious about approaching policies and everything in government with a gender-based analysis. So uh, policies, when they're reviewed and researched, clearly look into the effects on men as well as women and uh, the differences between those and uh, any intersections that may between Indigenous or LGBTQIS to S women. That's great. Thank you. Um, listen, I really want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, there's a few more days left in the campaign, and I want to wish you best of luck. I know how tough this is, and I want to thank you for thank putting you. yourself forward for this because it's a big sacrifice, um, and uh, we salute you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you soon. Thank you. So the second person that we're going to be talking to is Sharon Vokey from the Conservative Party. Sharon Vokey's passion has always been politics. She was president of the Student Council. She ran for council in the community of Trinity and went on to hold the position of mayor. She has been a member of the Provincial Progressive Conservative Party for close to 30 years and is a former executive director of the Provincial PC Party. Sharon is the current president of the federal riding of Bonavista Buren Trinity, the riding she now hopes to win the privilege of representing on election day. Sharon has endless energy and a pure desire to make the lives of all Newfoundlanders and Labradorians better. Her varied background and understanding of rural Newfoundland makes her an ideal candidate to represent people from all walks of life. She's a strong defender of those who need help for whatever reason. Sharon will always put the needs of her beloved province first and believes you need strong provinces to make a strong country. Sharon resides in Trinity with her husband and is very pleased that their two grown children are also living in Gander, close enough to regularly visit their three grandchildren. And you can see that was also from her website, which is www.conservative.ca slash team member slash Sharon dash And we'll go to her now. Hello, Sharon Vokey. Hi, Sharon Vokey. It's Amanda Bittner calling. How are you? Not oh, too bad, Amanda. I know you're in the middle of a campaign. Things are pretty busy. How are oh, you? Dear How are you doing Lord. all this? <laughs> I'm working on now getting dads on all the community channels and uh, just sent my husband off on a flying trip to Terranova to get some signs out there. Uh, I've got a debate in Clarenville tomorrow night, um, which I'm still waiting for the details from the Chamber of Commerce, but I'm preparing for that. And um, I'm up to my eyes, and, and I've still got some communities to hit, but um, I've been uh, traveling with my, my brother, gave up a month of his life and, and a month off work. My older brother, he's got a small uh, motor home. We plastered that with signs, and we've been hitting every community in this vast region. Every time I talk to any candidate who's, you know, campaigning, I'm amazed at the stamina. Like, it's very intense. <laughs> My voice is usually much clearer than it, so I'm getting a bit of horse. <laughs> I've got to last a few more days. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, you've got only a few more days, so that's pretty exciting. <laughs> that's so this right. is not your first rodeo. You've been in, in politics for quite some time. Is there anything that, that's happening this time around that surprises you or that you were not expecting? Uh, I wasn't expecting the level of interest, which is awesome, especially with the results from the advanced poll. Uh, you know, typically, uh, and you know well, uh, how low the voter turnout is. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're lucky if we can get 55% of the population. I think it was somewhere in that area, the last general election for this riding. And in the by-election uh, two years ago, the voter turnout was 
only just over 20 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, so that there's been so much interest. I've heard from several people who uh, have never voted before. You know, they're my age and they haven't voted before. I can't imagine, but they're interested. I've had several people tell me uh, they voted for the first time in their life. And there's, uh, I, I've found a lot of interest from youth that aren't of voting age, but mm -hmm. maybe because I engage a lot there, because I know at some point they're going to be voting. So <laughs> but, what do you think uh, is driving the this? The interest in this election, I think, like, fingers crossed, but I really think we're going to have a good, good voter turnout for this on the 21st. I really hope so, too. What do you think is driving this interest? So you've, you've been talking to kind of first-time voters who are not 18, and you know, young people who haven't, who don't have the right to vote yet. So what's making them all interested this time around, do you think, based on what you've been seeing? From what I've been seeing, uh, you know, there's so much going on now. Uh, I, I don't know if would say climate change, because uh, I think that's stirring a lot of interest. And certainly it relates uh, to the liberal policies on, you know, Bill C-69, which we, you know, we have to have... Uh, I think people are, are really struggling now. Their taxes are higher. They're really frustrated, and they're thinking, you know, maybe there is something that we can do to change. Uh, I personally am hearing everywhere I go, uh, I'm anti-Trudeau. Trudeau has to go. Uh, and uh, that's when I'm not saying, like, traveling the we slept on the side of the road. If we find a little RV park, or I might have a contact in a particular area, and we pull in the driveway and plug in our power. But uh, that people just—it's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I parked in the Walmart parking lot in um, Marystown to pick up a friend there. I was going to meet and jump aboard a motorhome with us, and I couldn't get asked. The parking lot I had people, mm -hmm. people, people chase motorhome and flag it to get a sign and meet me. It's amazing. So there seems to be a lot, a lot of interest out there, and uh, there seems to be a lot of Trudeau has to go sentiment. Yeah, I guess there's not too much privacy for you right now, is there? <laughs> no, not a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I sort of laugh. I'm going to be, I'll be 58 Friday. <laughs> and all my life, this is funny, I've worn makeup. People have seen me without my makeup. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, what you're highlighting right now for, I think, for our listeners is, is one of the kind of gendered components of campaigns and of being a politician, right? So mm. as a woman, <clears throat> your experience and the things that you have to do to prepare for your day are different, perhaps, than oh. what a male competitor might have to do. Oh, How are you finding... kind I'm of doing a meeting, Creed, I really got to, okay, where am I to now? You know, I'm a jeans and canvas sneakers, but I've worked in office jobs most of my life so I've got all kinds of heels and blazers and and <laughs> you know started with my hair in a ponytail I've had to keep it that way so my look is consistent but uh, I'm, I'm sure the men don't struggle in the morning of if they're wearing their flats or if they're wearing their heels or right. what's gonna you know making sure your makeup is right and your mascara is not smeared and, and your lipstick <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't have those same worries, and uh, hopefully the next generation of women won't either. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hopefully, yes. Are there any other kind of things that have struck you um, about 
gender, about diversity in this election so far that either you were expecting or you weren't expecting or things that you've experienced? Yeah. I, I've taken a lot of uh, uh, questions, certainly given um, the, you know my conservative leader, and, and there's been a lot of... I won't say really propaganda out there, but I mean, they really tried to drill on in on Cannon's teammate, you know, 15, 20 years ago when mm -hmm. he was first elected. And uh, certainly he's admitted he's pro-life, well, I'm pro-choice and always have been. And that's clear. I've, you know, so I've taken some questions around that. Uh, and on uh, women, so women's rights, on, on LGBTQ plus rights, and I'm a strong supporter and I always have. So, you know, while we might have some moral uh, differences or philosophical differences, um, we can all work together. And to think that, you know, everybody who gets elected under uh, one particular party is all going to have the same moral and spiritual values is, is you know, is, is, that'll never happen. But uh, we can all bring it together and work together. And I've certainly had, in particular from women and young people, uh, you know, stay strong, Sharon, don't, we need you at that table, but we don't want these things to come mm -hmm. up and resurface for debate. And I can assure you, as long as I'm sitting at that table, they, they won't. I've been uh, a sort of a non-traditional <laughs> wife. I've been married 39 years, two grown children, three grandchildren. Uh, my husband has always worked right here in Trinity, and he literally hardly leaves the door. His work is next to our house. Um, when my daughter was only 11, I took a job as political assistant uh, working out of St. John's in the House of Assembly, and for 15 years I commuted. I was only home on the weekends, and he was Mr. Mom and Mr. Dad and, and all the rest. And even now, with our children grown, he's my biggest supporter. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking for a different commute this time, but I've always been very strong. And I was the wife who worked away instead of the husband who went mm -hmm. away for work. And it has never been an issue. And I've encouraged so many people, you know, I've missed a lot with my own daughter growing up. But I think I've shown her that, you know, it's a woman's world out there, too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What a great role model she's got. <laughs> Um, so it sounds to me like women's rights are a pretty important um, piece of your your kind of ethos as a politician. Can you kind oh, of give me some sense absolutely. of um, what part of your platform will advance the rights of women? Oh, my heavens. Um, I'm so focused on just the election part right now. And I, I've struggled as well because I didn't have a big machine behind me. I'm really my own campaign manager. So uh, trying to, and I return all my own calls. But, you know, that's another thing I'm really hearing out there. People want a representative that's reachable, that's down to earth, that shows up in their communities and takes the time to listen. I've had several. Uh, I've got some really strong ladies uh, that I've met with and that are supporting me. Um, Mayor Fitzgerald. I mean, I don't know a stronger woman in the area who's fought so much. And she's 100% behind me in this campaign and giving me lots of tips from her life experience. Uh, I've got a few other very strong ladies like that in different areas as well that are just so pleased. And to see a serious candidate, you know, there's, I've got 900 signs in the ground now and I still haven't got the need met. And uh, people are, it's so good to see uh, a conservative woman really fighting to win. And uh, I've got a lot of support there. So. Uh, I'll get into that in the days after, hopefully, if I'm fortunate enough to get elected. 
Awesome. Thank you. I've got one last question. And then if there's anything else that you want to talk about, you're more than welcome to. Um, my question is, is kind of a strange one, but kind of not, I guess. Um, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing with the wave of that wand, like and tomorrow, everything would be different. What would that one thing be? It's a tough question, uh, yeah. This writing, for this writing, I guess, you know, um, it's three times size of Prince Edward Island. I would have us all recognized and connected by internet, by broadband. I'd have cell coverage everywhere on, in Newfoundland, Labrador. That's so important these days. And uh, that people can connect. Um, I, 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 it's, it is a difficult question. I almost want more time to think about it, but... Uh, I, I, Newfoundland, rural Newfoundland and Labrador would survive in a very big way. You know, we have a lot of tourism going on, but we need things to keep people in our area and to get our youth back to the area. You know, it's nice to have, I live in historic Trinity, you know, this mm-hmm. place is booming all summer long. And there's a lot of seasonal uh, minimum wage positions. You know, we need better than that for our rural areas. We need... Um, interest and input and, uh, from the government and to recognize that the rural areas need to survive in Newfoundland and Labrador. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty important. Is there any other kind of closing thoughts you have for us? Uh, no, I, I, it's a privileged run. I've met so many people. Uh, we haven't had a district association for this riding in quite some time, but I've connected with so many people, good people on the way. And I've got a lot of experience. So there's a few people I've absolutely guaranteed, you know, win or lose, I'm going to be there for you to help you with this application. Uh, but um, it's just, you know, you rediscover at the beauty of the rugged, rugged uh, communities. There's never enough time, but, and I've met so many amazing people along the way and heard their family stories and how long they've been fishing here or farming here or, you know, uh, it's, uh, that is truly amazing. We have some fantastic people in Newfoundland and Labrador and a lot of history. We sure do. Listen, well, there's a few days left in the election. I want to wish you best of luck and thank you for your service. I know it's a big deal to do the job that you're trying to do right now and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Amanda. I hope we have an opportunity to talk again. In yeah, future. me too. That'd be great. Thank you all so right, much. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so that was two candidates who are running for federal government in this current election. We've got a few more days left in the election, and there's lots of time for more excitement to take place. Um, Obviously, these candidates were quite different, right? Different in terms of experience with politics and with political careers, experience with community activism. I'm wondering what you think about your own riding, dear listeners. Do you have women to vote for in your riding? Does it matter to you? What kinds of things are you looking for from them? Have they gone door to door and met you and talked to you? Uh, Where are you at with this? What do you think about the role of gender in this election um, and the role of diversity of candidates and of public policy and things like that? Let us know. Thanks Thanks for for listening, feminists. You've been listening to The Academic and the Activist with Amanda Bittner and Jenny Wright. Produced in St. John's, Newfoundland at CHMR 93.5 FM. Our theme music is Gravity by Amelia Curran. We'd like to give a shout out to Hans Rollman for producing the show, to Robin Pike for designing our graphics, and to the Gender and Politics Lab at Memorial for help with research, production, and prep. If you want to get in touch, email us at theacademicandtheactivist at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share.